This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Welcome to the Ether Review. We're at DevCon. I'm here with R. Tyler Smith, PhD. You would expect us to talk about scaling and uh, the hack and heroic recovery of the uh, of the Geth clients. Although well, it wasn't really a hack; they were just uh, it was the bug was exploited to um, to attack the network. But yeah, really... somebody was just playing a little fun, uh... and uh, and they fixed it. It did delay the conference by half an hour. Oh, but it was it was actually magical to watch these guys run in <laughs> after they had done the hot fix and 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 then like announce, "Oh yeah, and there's a there's a there's a hot fix and we've deployed, you know, the new geth, just go download it." It was awesome. I was talking to um I was talking to um Taylor Goering. I was talking to Taylor Goering and uh and he was saying that the whole reason it took so long was that they just couldn't upload the file because we're behind the Great Firewall. And, uh, and you know, just to, to see the whole thing get tackled with such nonchalance and ease was, you know, amazing. Especially because it was right on the eve. It was the most inconvenient time for anything to go wrong. That's true. Although, yeah, it was just impressive how the developers got together so quickly and put out a fix. Well, I think the the whole thing is always being ready. They're kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like Batman. You know, that is the role of the Ethereum developer. It's probably really stressful. But <laughs> oh, they wear it well. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, though, you're um, you're from BHP Billiton. I am an employee of BHP Billiton. I work in our petroleum business. Petroleum. What does petroleum have to do with distributed cryptographic ledgers? That's a great question. Um, and I don't think that large-scale industry has really woken up to this new technology other than maybe the banking sector and some of the consulting firms and, and maybe some of the insurance firms. But um, despite all the noise that blockchain has made in the technology sector, I don't think that major industry has fully woken up to its potential. And so really from my standpoint, I see the blockchain as a major step forward in the way we can do non-monetary business process automation. Um, I think that's an incredibly exciting area of development, and BHP is just really excited to be one of the first in the space, a technological leader. And that is it, right? Because this is non-monetary. This is like non-financial. Because that's what what everyone's been thinking about. I mean, it's they call it a ledger, right? Yeah, but it, it, it all stems from the bias that was set when Satoshi created the very first application. So the technology and the application came out together, right? And it was basically the central bank of the internet, right? It's a financial application. And so all of the way, all of the ways we describe blockchain is using the nomenclature and ideas set forth in that very first implementation. And it's only now with a general computing distributed system like Ethereum 
that we're now dis- we're we're beginning to discover that there's this vast amount of applications that we could start applying this to. And so, that being the case, what's BHP Billiton uh, using blockchain to do? So we've developed what we call Project Raystones. Uh, the Raystone, uh, a lot of people will be familiar with because of the uh, correlations people have made to the monetary system from the island of Yap, right? And they actually use these large limestone disks as a means of currency on their, on their island. Well, like them, we are tracking rock samples. And what we use it for is as we're, this is our first attempt to build something using a blockchain that will demonstrate the tremendous capabilities that the blockchain has to offer. And then we can use this hallmark example that we've built in the beginning and begin applying it to other parts of our business. So the first implementation, Project Raystones, is what I would describe it as a uh, pilot but production grade. This is actually going to be used live within our system to acquire data we've never acquired before. Now, it exists in parallel with our existing systems, um, but it is definitely a step forward in, in, in gaining new insights. And what it does is it tracks our well bore samples. So when we go out and we drill an oil and gas well, in the course of drilling the well, we will acquire rock and fluid samples from the well. Now these are one-time opportunities. Some of these wells can be extremely expensive. So a, a, an exploration well in the deep water can cost upwards of $100 million. And so in the process of drilling that well, you get one chance to acquire these samples. And they have tremendous value in, in their analyses and the ability to then interpret and find more oil and gas through you know, the data that you're acquiring. So the project tracks these samples from planning and acquisition all the way through to long-term storage and end of life. So why are they so valuable though? Like why is it, and what do they do? Like what's special about a piece of, uh, piece of rock that just comes out of the middle of an oil well? You know, like what, what's in there? What, is, what information does it, does it give you? So when we discover, so this is actually great because this is exactly where I came from, right? If we were to dial back just a little, a few months back, um, this is the role I played within our company. I just happened to be a Ethereum and blockchain in general enthusiast. And so uh, what we would do is after drilling the well and acquiring the samples, we would send them off to vendors for analyses. And these analyses give us much more understanding than what we had previously about the rocks. So this is everything from where do we look for the next oil and gas accumulation to how do we extract what it is we've found. So you have an exploration well that goes down, it finds oil and gas, or maybe it even, it doesn't. Either way, the samples can be quite valuable. But let's say in the example that we find oil and gas. Now we have, quote unquote, a field. Just because we found it doesn't mean that we have any idea on how to extract it. And so we have teams that come together and we use the analyses that we acquire from the well, from the rock that we, that we pull out of the well, to understand the flow characteristics of the hydrocarbons, to understand just the overall properties that the rock has. And that will help us to decide 
on a uh, on a plan on how we're going to extract the most value out of that field. And so when you get these cores, what happens to them and how is the blockchain involved in tracking that and what happens to them? Yeah, so what we do with the project is we're able to set up a plan for the well. That's called the basis of well design. The basis of well design is basically everything from all the stages that we're going to do to drill the well to all of the nuances around um, some of the dangers maybe that might occur, all the tools that we're going to use, everything. But included in that is also the sampling program. And the sampling program says that we're going to, you know, we're going to extract certain samples at such intervals. And then we pass this document on to the operations geologist on the rig. And he's the one in charge of actually acquiring the samples. Now, we don't always have the plan happen exactly the way we wanted it to. This is a dynamic environment. So in some cases, they will acquire just like we want them to, and they will be basically uh, checking off the plan and creating a, a new state in the blockchain for each sample. So this, the state of the sample goes from planned to now acquired. And we know that we have a real rock in our possession that needs to be tracked. If they were somehow not able to acquire the sample, we also know that. And we want to know that. We want to know that the sample was not acquired and why. Then uh, if there was any alteration to the plan, we also want to know, you know, say for instance, a sample was acquired at a different depth. Uh, the operations geologist was busy doing a critical thing that needed to be done, and he wasn't able to acquire the sample until a little bit later. So we want to know what depth he acquired it at in, in reality. And so he can actually update the plan to the reality and then check it off, and we now know we have that sample. Now, once these samples are acquired at the rig, now we're going to actually track them through the shipping process as they come to a vendor, and the vendors are going to... What's, say a, that they, what's a vendor in this, in this? Okay, so a vendor, BHP and all this, uh, we rarely actually take possession of the samples ourselves. Possession meaning we don't have them brought to our office, right? So really? We, you don't just have like stacks of core samples? <laughs> it would like, be kind of ridiculous, <laughs> you know, having these uh, rocks just sitting about the just office. Just in the lobby, like or, you know, at, at reception. You know, yeah, no, 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 no. So we, we're, we're paying... Um, vendors to do all these things for us. The shipping portion could be done, you know, through um, any one of the shipping vendors. You might think of FedEx or U UPS or whatever. Um, there, there's various sophisticated vendors within our industry that will ship samples, and um, and we deal with uh, oil and gas service prov providers, um, such as the one we're collaborating with right now, Weatherford. Weatherford Labs is a, an example of an oil and gas service provider that they do all of our sample analyses. So um, these samples travel to them from the rig, and they will begin to uh, clean the sample up, uh, store it appropriately, but then they'll begin to do specialized analyses on the rock to tell us properties like the porosity of the rock, the grain size of the rock, uh, various other things that geologists um, and, and reservoir engineers are very interested in, in so they can update their, their geologic models and their extraction models for the, for the fields. And so, so it goes, the rock goes from the, uh, from the point of acquisition to a vendor that transports it, and then I presume it goes somewhere where it uh, transports it to the tester. 
to, to some. No, no. So the, the, the vendor, the vendor who's, uh, who's the lab is the one taking care of it from the, it comes from the rig to a lab. Okay. Um, and then the lab is going to do some analyses and it's possible that they may transport it to another vendor afterwards to do additional analyses. So this may do a few hops until, until it reaches uh, a point at which we no longer need to do any more analysis at this time, and it will be transported to a long-term storage, which is actually another vendor. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, so how do you use a blockchain to track all of this stuff? So we create uh, a digital version of the sample in the form of a smart contract. And that smart, con smart contract is registering not only its state, but also it's storing its particular information. So we have various types of samples, whether they're cuttings or fluid samples or actual like whole rock core. Um, and the smart contract is essentially defining that digital object and then tracking how it moves through our process. And, uh, and the idea is to give you more, I guess, no, actually, let, let me rephrase that. So what is the advantage of, over your old system of using this, uh, this blockchain, Ethereum blockchain-based? And this is actually a, uh, this is a, a closed permission ledger as well, right? Yeah, so the, our, our initial foray into this space, it just made sense um, to, to work in a, a private instance of Ethereum. Um, we think there's actually a lot of benefits to the public Ethereum network, and we'll explore uh, use cases and, and, and things in the future um, interacting directly on the, on the public. Uh, it just depends on whether it makes sense. For us, we have two major goals with this project, um, and we really divide these up as we talk about the project. So in, in one case, we're delivering a production-grade solution to a business unit, which is our geologic operations group. And in that, we have several goals that we want to achieve. We want to create more transparency for the end user stakeholder. We want to have more automated and guaranteed um, regulatory compliance. Uh, we want to uh, have better analytics on how the sample is being processed and have more real-time access to the data. That's kind of one bucket in our produce something that's a business case an important product. Now, the other side of this is that we're exploring what we call a transformational technology. So we actually, in that space, we want to know, you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the blockchain from a holistic standpoint? Can it do um, identity and role-based type solutions in, a, in an effective and simple way? Can we share data with third parties Safe, safely and securely. Um, and it actually, in combination with this, we're exploring the idea of decentralized file storage. So as um, vendors produce analyses, we're actually having them upload those analyses onto an IPFS solution that is accessible through a fingerprint. You know, the hash of the file goes into the smart contract of the sample and our end user stakeholders, so geologists like I was, geophysicists, could go and actually click inside the blockchain, like it's, it's, it's going to the sample, clicking on the file 
that's then linked out to an IPFS delivery of that file. So you actually have both IPFS and Ethereum operating in the same, uh, in the same application. Yeah, and then this is all built on top of block apps infrastructure. Consensus was, uh, was involved in the production of the solution as well. Yeah, so we, I approached Consensus as, a, um, as a, a provider for these services, and they've done a tremendous job at uh, helping us build the BHP uh, Ethereum-based blockchain and, and provide all of the, the necessary uh, expertise. But it's also a but it's also IPFS, right? That's this is what is kind of I didn't realize that you were using IPFS as well. So you know this is really interesting because for one, this is production. You know this is actually full blown production. I mean I'm not sure I'm not really aware of any. Um, that's I should say I'm not aware of any, but I can't think. Oh, there's uh, no there's there's the BV Rio example, but this is this is the most elaborate um, blockchain based application or Ethereum-based application that is actually in or is designed for production use. It's not a proof of concept. So I I would agree with you. And let me define a little bit what I mean by production. So, um, you know, as our first implementation of a blockchain, we're obviously doing this in parallel with current processes. Um, But this application will be gathering data that we've never acquired before and for that reason, when it goes live, I call it a production level application. It is not, however, integrated inside our own firewall. So this is sandboxed in, a, in the Microsoft Azure uh, environment. It's under our own account, but it's not integrating through our firewall at this time. So really, it's just a tool that you have. But it's a, it's a full-blown, fully fixed. It's going to be fully used by our ge- geologic operations team. So, but it's also, so for one, there's that, that's one, right? So it's actually a production, uh, a production project. It's, um, it's the first non-financial production. Absolutely. I don't, I don't even know if there's a financial production project of, of any particular kind. So, I mean, there's two things that make this quite interesting. It's non-financial, and it's going to be used in day-to-day business processes for a major corporation. Uh, I think that's a pretty big deal for our ecosystem. And also it uses IPFS. Like, that is, like, that's really cool. I mean, I'm in love with IPFS. So, so we, awesome. we felt like explore, if we were going to do this, let's explore the decentralized file storage options as well as the blockchain options you know we want to explore decentralized technologies and this is like the paradigm though right like this is the this is the decentralized kind of application development paradigm it's awesome to see i mean i I had no idea because we were just here with with coindesk for the listeners talking about it and uh and you didn't you didn't mention um that might be that might have been an oversight actually um, we may actually, I, I may need to go back and actually you mention probably it to should. That's like really Because cool. that integration is part of how we're creating transparency for our end user stakeholders. I mean, the way I envision it, as a geo, geo, geoscience, a, a geoscientist, uh, a few months ago. PhD, really? <laughs> I, I do, I do. I, I, have, I have a PhD in geophysics from Rice University. Um, I'm not lying. I can show you my diploma. Um, but, when I was working in that capacity, one of the most frustrating things 
is that we would acquire samples. And let's say we acquired these samples 10 years ago. And I'm coming into the space. Let's say I enter a new geographic region. And they're asking me to do an analysis on the prospectivity for that area to find new oil and gas fields. I would immediately go to what our databases had, a, you know, what we had in our database. Um, but these would be disparate files that could be stored in multiple drives across the company, of which I don't have access to them all. And I would spend weeks, sometimes months, gathering together the disparate data sources. And I wouldn't know necessarily. So if I take, for instance, a sample from an important well on a sand body that I think I might be able to track throughout the basin. I know that they took a sample there. Now I have to figure out where is that information held that I can go understand the properties of that sand. And that is not a easy task to find where that might be located within our vast database resources. Especially because you're a massive, massive company like BHP. I had a mate in uh, New Zealand who, I mean, actually, tons of New Zealanders all go fl flock, sure. to, used to flock to Australia to work for BHP. Well, we, we provide, uh, you know, high paying jobs uh, in, in careers that have lots of upward potential. So I don't know. I mean, of course, people are going go yeah. uh, to go. Yeah, it's no, but I mean, I'm talking like generations of people practically yeah. went to work for BHP in the mines and um, in Western Australia. In fact, there's a huge uh, contingent of, of New Zealanders who live in Perth. Um, because, specifically because of, of BHP and, and other mining companies as well. But sure. I mean, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's hilarious. So, so take, take the example that I mean, we, are, we are a large company and let's say we acquired this sample 10 years ago. Where that data resides long term is very difficult to access. And so uh, as an end user stakeholder, wouldn't it be incredible if I could identify the sample just by knowing it's well, right? We go to the blockchain, we search on the well, we find all the samples, and we can actually look at the audit of everything that happened to that sample. And I can look and see what analyses were done because the IPFS hash is in the sample contract, the smart contract. I click on a UI that then immediately accesses the IPFS file and brings it up on my computer. I mean, this is revolutionary for us. This is transformative for us because now as an end user stakeholder, I can do my interpretation much, much faster because I have access to the data. And this will just allow decision making and interpretation at such a speed that we can save so much money in, in coming to a, a business decision. And, um, What's the network look like? So what is the, uh, how have you divided the nodes up and the permissions of those nodes? So we wanted to take uh, uh, an approach that's, uh, that was more long looking, you know, forward looking. We said, you know, in the case of uh, vendors or partners, let's establish a set of nodes that actually represent a, a, a grouping that we might use in, in a particular field or, or in this case, just our samples. Um, so we have three nodes right now operating in Microsoft Azure uh, virtual machines. And the three nodes represent BHP, 
uh, a, a vendor. In this particular case, the vendor that we're collaborating with is Weatherford. And perhaps a regulator. So uh, a government uh, in the location that we're, we're leasing the land for exploration or production. And those would really represent stakeholders in the data. And um, this project just represents how transparent we can make a database with these three nodes. And so that's, that's really interesting as well. That's like a fundamental like design paradigm is the way that you divide those nodes. So up actually well. in my talk, I'm going I'm to talk about how important that regulatory node can be in terms of uh, how we operate. What does this mean for the future? Let's, so let's, let's move away from the, the BHP uh, project itself. What did you call it? Project Rystone. Yeah. So let's move away from Project Rystone itself and more into what this means for the future. What does, uh, what does provenance tracking, what does, uh, you know, what does this kind of, uh, this arrangement of permission nodes, this, uh, this uh, arrangement of technology, Ethereum and, uh, and IPFS, in a, uh, in a company that is massive. I mean, it's one, of the, it's one of the world's. You could actually think of BHP as being distributed geographically. You know, we have mines and operations all around the world. And we're not only distributed geographically, we're also distributed by commodities. So we have iron ore, copper, coal, oil and gas. And you, you think about how these different companies within a company have to interact and work. And the idea of a distributed co computing network that Ethereum represents, smart contracts and business process automation, this just makes sense for a company like this, right? So we're exploring all sorts of use cases into the future. There's three particular areas that I highlight uh, right now, but there's many more that we're working on. Uh, in one case, uh, BHP is incredibly focused on safety. We believe that every member of our business family should go home every night. That is incredibly important for us. We spend uh, a lot of effort and money making sure that our systems and our processes lead to the safety of all employees involved. Because let's face it, mining and oil and gas exploration and development is dangerous. We deal with heavy loads, big equipment, and the environments in which we, we, we operate are not, the, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to, for an individual person, without these processes, they would be put in harm's way quite easily. Um, so we spend a lot of time and effort thinking about the safety of the individual. So let me just give you an example. If we were, this is an IoT example, an yeah. Internet of Things example that I know that other people have thought about, but oftentimes we refer to them as like door locks or refrigerators. Let me put it in context of a major industry application. Uh, take, for instance, uh, a tool that is, uh, let's, let's, let's think of it as a tool that, uh, over the course of its operation, it should only be used a certain number of times before it needs to be recertified. Now, if, if you were able to connect that tool to the blockchain, and we're talking about one tool, but what if we could connect all the tools across the company that are like this, and they could be updating their state on a smart contract on the blockchain. And after, let's say, a thousand use cases, a thousand uses, that tool 
locks up so that the individual cannot use it anymore until it's recertified by a professional. And then it's re, you know, and then it's opened back up and the digital signature would represent a certified technician had looked at this tool. And that would also indicate the technician himself, him or herself, who did that certification. All of that could be tracked through, uh, through that system as well. Absolutely. Now, if you add in identity, now only particular people who are trained to use that tool can actually access and use it. Unlock it, right? Like- unlock the tool so that it can be used. Now, let me give you another instance, actually. Um, when we are operating at these, uh, in these environments, oftentimes we do not want two pieces of machinery to be operating at the same time. The way we govern that now is through, is through human process, right? We have, we have strict protocols on what things can be operated on. We keep, you know, meticulous records. But what if we could automate that? What if two pieces of machinery, when one was operating, it would, basically not, it would make it impossible for another machine that would be dangerous in the same environment to operate as well. What is an example of two machines that you wouldn't operate at the same um, time? So one that often comes up is crane operation. So, uh, you know, if you're operating a crane at the same time, for instance, uh, you are um, flying a helicopter into a, a drill rig, an oh, offshore drill perfect. rig. Perfect. Yeah. Right? As the helicopter approaches, all cranes need to be completely, like, state, like they cannot be operating. Um, and it becomes incredibly dangerous if anything is moving on the drill floor or on the drill deck. Um, so, you know, it, I'm not sure that these two would be the first ones we would do, um, because the helicopter is quite a complicated, you know. Well, you wouldn't want to be turning a helicopter off because someone finds up a crane. <laughs> but but that's just an uh, that's just an illustration of two machines, right? But in, we have lots of different cases in both the mining context and also oil and gas, where you would never want two machines operating at the same time, and you can automate that through the blockchain. Um, so what about provenance? Provenance itself, like this is this is an example of provenance, and personally, I've always felt that provenance was even more than finance, one of the one of the first places where we'd see blockchains deployed, and here it is. Yes, yeah. supply chains are enormous. Um, we've had people in the space talking about supply chains. A lot of times, we're referring to it in in f- the context of food or food manufacturing, um, and then it's often geared towards. You know, can we provably show to the consumer that this was done in a responsible way? That's the way a lot of people have been talking about it. But supply chains are gigantic. If you think about what my company does, we extract value from the ground, from the earth, and everything from that point on is supply chains. It's things being put on trucks, things being, you know, moved to uh, certain facilities, factories, things of that nature, then they're being uh, put on large, you know, barges and, and, and marine vessels or being shipped across large areas. And eventually they're reaching our customers. Um, but if you think about the, the, the magnitude of value that we need to track just within our own company, it's billions of dollars worth of commodities. And so, Finding ways for supply chains to um, 
become more efficient and more transparent is a huge value add. And um, so where does this, uh, where do we go from here? You fire the, when you fire this thing up, what, uh, what happens next? Well, that's what we're talking about right now. Um, I'd love to give you some insights, but those will have to come through time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like you have this, I feel like this, you know, I, I, I feel like I could extract more information if I really pressed you. It must be something. <laughs> so let me tell you about uh, another piece that I think is actually incredibly exciting. So in the natural resource space, we often partner with other companies to decrease, decrease our risk profile. Uh, so when we're talking about oil and gas exploration or whether we're talking about um, you know, minerals mining, uh, these operations that we do are so um, cost intensive. There, there's, there, there's such asset um, risk involved that we often share that risk amongst various companies. And so we enter into partnerships with, with other companies. And we also view uh, ourselves as a partner with countries that are leasing this to us. You know, everything that we do, we're basically forming a partnership with the country that owns that particular piece of land. I see why you're actually really delicate with the term partner as well, right? Because that means a BHP partner is a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. It means, uh, it means quite a lot of things uh, to, to a company like BHP. Anyway. It's, it's and it's a long-term agreement, a long-term um, business association. Uh, so we partner with all these countries and other companies. And one of the things that I think is really exciting is the space of public regulatory reporting. So as a, as a company, we must report on our operations, on our production, on the individual, uh, on a lot of details about our, uh, what we do um, in a particular area. And we have to deliver that information. Sometimes we actually have to deliver what we were talking about, the physical samples. So for instance, in, in Australia, we actually have to deliver the physical samples to the government after so much time. And all of that information has to become public after a certain amount of time. So this relationship that we have in reporting this information to governments uh, is, is something that, that it, it's an internal cost, but it's one that we're very happy to, to do um, through the agreements that we have. Now, what happens to that information? We've reported all this information, and it has value. It's gone to these governments, the gov and it's gone to disparate government agencies. So it's not all housed in the same place. These government agencies house libraries of physical media, in some cases, with this information. And then they try to expose it through certain outlets. Um, and what happens is this information is, is valuable enough to the industry that we have third-party companies that have sprung up that are just public data aggregators. So they go to all the disparate public agencies they aggregate the data and then they put it into nice, you know, databases that have nice bows on top of them, right? And they then market that back to the companies that provided the information. That seems absurd. Well, it, it, it's grown out of necessity, right? Because there isn't a way for us to all share this information in a really effective and efficient way until now, right? So, what if, 
I have to tell you that these third-party aggregators, you wouldn't believe. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar industry with a B. Public data aggregation. But what if, what if we could enter into a consortium of companies, which we, you know, we do often to explore uh, technology or research interests. And these companies are able, what if we could come together and form a consortium chain where we're reporting our regulatory information into the blockchain and the government or governments because this doesn't have to be a single system with a particular government. It could be all governments across the globe could be participating as nodes and receiving the public regulatory information that we have to report on through the blockchain. But then all the companies would have access to the information as well as the countries. And we wouldn't need public data aggregation anymore. Instead, what if these companies were providing robust tools to slice and dice and visualize the data instead of doing the menial task of aggregating it. Because that's already taken care of. That's a whole step that's been. Exactly. We can, we can take that step. We can disintermediate that step and make it into a much more efficient ecosystem. And when I talk about this, that's the, so samples have to be reported on. But that's just the first step. You know, that, that can immediately merge into this type of ecosystem where we have, we're running a BHP blockchain where we're collecting all our information on our samples. Why couldn't we create a bridge from a BHP blockchain into a consortium chain where we then report that information and expose it to that blockchain and it's now available to governments and other companies um, depending on necessity. Depending on necessity. Now, here, let me give you the, 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 real, the real thing that I think is exciting about this. In so many ways, it's difficult to set up uh, uh, the, the consortiums of, of, of companies because they don't want to expose their data. But this is public data. There's no risk. This is not money. This is something that we have to give up anyway. So there's no risk to the companies themselves. We're going to have to do it anyway. So this is really, it's, it's crazy because you talk about, uh, you know, because this is like non-financial and everything. But what we do see is this is actually the most valuable stuff in the world, which is, for one, like you said, the data aggregation is a billion-dollar industry. Absolutely. You know, the information itself or the ability to aggregate it, that is, that's the, the value-add. That's... Uh, that is, in a sense, you know, we're still tracking, you know, still tracking things of immense value. And the core samples, how much, are, like, what, how valuable are they? So if you think about the fact that a core or a sample out of a well can only be acquired one time at the drilling of the well, you know, and you, and you consider the cost of a particular well in the deep water, you know, 100 plus million, these samples are worth more than gold or diamonds in terms of their analyses. Now, the, the, the actual value degrades through time, and the rocket itself will degrade through time. But when they come out of the ground, these things are more precious than diamonds. Wow, man. That's awesome. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. So we, we are actually hoping to issue the invitation to our peers and say, let's look at the industry in general 
And I want to go, I want to talk to governments and say, let's look at the costs that you're sustaining to provide this public data to aggregators. Can we all come together and work together in a consortium to become a more efficient industry across the board? Now, we've applied this, we talked about you know, how we can do this for samples, but this extends far beyond samples. We, we do this reporting for our production, we do this reporting for our taxes, we do this reporting for our marketing and costs. Let me paint a little bit of a picture for you. What if, well, let me step back and give you some background. So the price of oil is often a knee-jerk reaction to reports from isolated parts of the world that either have a surplus or a shortfall in their oil supply. So people are going out and grabbing disparate data sources to try to understand where the price of oil should go in the, in the near term and in the long term. And so you have uh, speculators and traders that are using this information to drive that price in the market. What if we could create a system where the reporting, the public reporting by companies and governments was such that the data available could stabilize commodity prices across the world? Because you would have more clear views to what the market was going to look like. And less, fewer surprise answers or surprise um, you know, su surprise results from information that you didn't have before. Exactly. This is public information, but it's not publicly distributed. Wow, that's uh, that is incredibly far-reaching. Well, I, I, you know, I think that there was a talk recently. I, I can't remember if it was on your podcast, but I think it might have been. Uh, it was Vinay Gupta, and he was talking about raising our sights on the, the potential of the technology That's that we right, are yeah. building. Let's look beyond the banking and finance industry to what this can truly do for us as a global society. And, you know, when what representing a company like BHP Billiton, we are looking at global solutions. We, we honestly believe that what we do like lifts people and countries out of poverty and allows them to build industrialized nations. Well, it does, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's the, the materials of construction. Yeah. It, it's being in infrastructure. China, you know, being in China. So I actually was in China 10 years ago. I was in Shanghai, very near to where we are right now. Um, and I saw what uh, the potential that Shanghai had. I mean, it was already booming as a, as a financial center here in China. But I remember looking out in Shanghai and seeing hundreds, I couldn't even count them, hundreds of construction cranes. And I remember thinking, you know what? This is all being facilitated because they're able to buy the natural resources to build this. And when I look out today, what a great city Shanghai has become, a, a global center and uh, it's been really impressive to, to bring the conference here. And, you know, the, the relationship that BHP has had with China is, is longstanding. And I, I just think that this is such a, a tremendous place um, to witness uh, people being brought out of poverty. Hey, well, on that note, it's been an absolute pleasure, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely.
Enjoyed it. Fantastic. Hey, uh, should uh, where should people go to learn more? Ah, uh, probably so, probably the CoinDesk article, which I'll link to in the notes. Yeah, well, uh, I, I you know if anyone would like to reach out to me, um, I'll give Arthur my contact information, and uh, especially people in the natural resource industry who want to explore the space, please get a hold of me. Okay, awesome. Uh, thank you very much, Tyler. It's been great. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Arthur. This has been the Ether Review. Visit etherreview.info for more episodes, email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview.